We, uh, okay, so we've gone through the introductory elements of Revelations, chapter 1, 2, and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches. Last week, uh, or last Wednesday, that, um, we went through the 70 weeks of Daniel to kind of get you a glimpse of the one-week tribulation period. And, um, and so chapters 4 through 19 are going to deal with the seven-year period called the tribulation. And so... Um, uh, I want to read here, you know, people have asked, well, why is it called the tribulation? Well, Jesus actually called it tribulation. So we're going to start off in Matthew 24 and um, 29, and then we'll go jump over into uh, Revelations. And it says, uh, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven (coughs) shall be (coughs) shaken. So Jesus here is um, called it the tribulation period. So um, uh, we know that during the seven years, this one week out of uh, uh, Daniel's 70 weeks, that we have this tribulation, and we're going to start talking about it. Now, we have to understand that during this, there, there's things, and where a lot of people get, they, they stumble at the book of Revelations, is they fail to realize there's things happening in heaven, there's things happening on earth, you have a group of people in heaven. You have a group of people on earth. You have different people going up at different times. And if we can keep it straight in our minds, it starts making a lot more sense. Now, the other thing, and go, go ahead and go over to Revelations chapter 4, um, is that we have to keep in mind is Revelations has to agree with the other 65 books of the Bible. Not just the New Testament, the other 65 books of the Bible. Because God's word is God's word. A lot of Christians today act as though the Old Testament doesn't apply to us. Jesus said, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have life, but they're talking about me. They didn't have the New Testament when Jesus said that. He was, the, the New Testament was being created. They were living it out. So the, the scriptures he was referring to was the Old Testament scriptures. And, and a lot of people have dropped off well, we're no under, not under the law anymore. Well, it's true, we're not under uh, the ruling force of the Mosaic or Levitical law. But God's word did not change. What he said is still true. Uh, and Jesus fulfilled the law, meaning that he lived it perfectly, qualifying him to, to go through the death, burial, and resurrection, taking our sins on him. And, uh, but his words are still true. I mean, you can go through the Bible several times. It says that his word does not change, that he does not change, that he watches over his word to fulfill it. He didn't say, I just watch over my New Testament word. He said he watches over his word. So every word he gave through Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, he's still watching over it to make sure. And we're going to see some things like that as we get into this realm of uh, Revelations chapter 4. So um, Revelations chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read the whole verse and I'm going to kind of break some things down. After I looked, after this, I looked. After what? This is John. And he had just written the seven letters to the seven churches. After this, after the completion of the seven letters, I looked and behold, the door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up thither. I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, we see that a door of heaven was opened. There's actually, I don't know how to explain it because I don't really know how it works, 
But there's a thin veil between the natural and the spiritual. I mean, you look at it, Jesus, when they tried to push him off the cliff, he hid himself. How are you in a group of people and you hide yourself? He stepped over into another realm. Then he stepped back over. I mean, we see things like that happening. Uh, they, were, they were talking in the room after his resurrection and uh, before the day of Pentecost, and he just showed up. He didn't walk through the door. When he left, he just kind of like walked through the wall. He just kind of stepped over again into that spiritual realm. There, there, there's not... And, and the way I've said it many times, and I wish I knew how it worked better, because I would have stepped on over into India and not took that 17-hour flight. <laughs> so I, I don't understand. I'm not like talking from the standpoint of I, I get everything about it, but we see it in the Bible on, on how it works. And um, so we have to, I, I've said it like this, you have the natural world and there's a spiritual realm that lays over it. Now, I don't know if my, that's, that's just the way that David, you know, thinks about it. But there's a kingdom of God that we can operate in here in the natural. This is what's really hard, but there's going to be a door that opens to heaven. Or, or the way I see it is like, like in this, this overlapping of the spiritual and the natural, there's going to be an, a door that opens and you're going to hear a loud voice that says, come up here. And John says, immediately I was standing before the throne of God. This is a picture of the, the, what people call the rapture, is that come up, and, uh, but, but notice what happens here. Remember, I'm teaching from a pre-tribulation rapture. I know there's a lot of different eschatologies out there. I don't have a problem if you uh, believe that you're going up halfway through, have fun. Uh, or if you're going to go through the whole thing, have fun. And, um, but here, if we look at the chronological order of this verse, a door opens. He says, come up here. And then notice, he says, um, uh, I will show thee what must come hereafter. He had to be before the throne of God before what came next could happen. Again, we read out of Thessalonians last week that there's something that's restraining the Antichrist from coming on the scene. And I went over that on how it's the church. And the church is holding, if the church could ever realize how powerful the church is, there's a lot of people saying, well, I am the church, but they got no power in their life. They're just, they've got an excuse to live by. But if we could ever get a revelation of how powerful the church is, man, what we could do. So, um, so the church must be before the throne of God before the tribulation events take place. Now, let me give you uh, another verse on that. Go to Luke 21. Luke 21 and verse 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass to stand before the, the Son of Man. Now you have, to, you have to consider this with modern day teaching. Why would Jesus say that you may be counted worthy if by the grace of God we are all worthy? Now, somebody might say because it was pre, pre-death, burial, resurrection, and grace hadn't been manifested yet, but then why would, he, uh, uh, but why would he say there, always pray that you may be counted worthy? He would just say, hang on, 
In a short period of time, you'll be worthy because I'll die and, and resurrect. You and I have to be counted worthy to escape. Now, the escape gives us insight into the pre-tribulation rapture. Because if, if we were, or you're of a doctrine of a mid-tribulation rapture, you did not escape until halfway through. If you're a post-tribulation, you have a post-tribulation rapture belief, then you didn't escape anything. You went through the whole thing. So Jesus said, pray that you may be counted worthy. I, this is where I've said many times, many, many, many times, people think that because they're born again, they're rapture ready. It's two separate subjects. There's a lot of people that are born again. We're going to see it when we get to Revelation chapter 7. There's a lot of people who are born again. They have the robes of salvation, but they're spotted. And, and they have to get out of the tribulation. But what we're going to see here is a different group of people. So uh, he says, I heard. After this, I looked and behold, the door was open in heaven. And the voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Now, I've mentioned this many times in various ways that a lot of people will say things like, well, I don't, I, Jesus, God doesn't talk to me. I can't hear his voice. You better fix that. Because God is talking. You're just not recognizing. There's a lot of people that say, well, the Lord told me. And it wasn't the Lord because it contradicted the word of God. Jesus, the Holy Ghost, will never contradict his word. So, no, I was praying about it and I know this was God. I've had people tell me this before. And I've said, no, based on this scripture, it wasn't God. You're contradicting the word of God. You know, people get goofy ideas like when you get to heaven, you're going to be an angel. Read your Bible. We don't become angels. People say, that, well, well, God needed your, your child in heaven. That's why he took him. God's not a taker. He's a giver. How many times you heard somebody say when somebody said, well, God took him. God's not a taker. He doesn't. He's not a murderer. Isn't that an amazing concept? He doesn't take people. We fail to walk in what he has for us. Or people, when they get at the end of the, their life, they give, up, um, they give up the life element and they receive me into your kingdom. He'll receive people, but he won't take people. And, and so we get these goofy doctrines because they feel good, they sound good, but we've got to stay with the word of God. If you heard something and it doesn't align with the word of God, uh, you either heard yourself say it or you heard a familiar spirit. But it wasn't God. There's a lot of people who believe they're spiritual and that they hear these things and, and they're just not of God. Don't be. But anyway, I heard. Now go, go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Amen. Because I, I want to tie this in. The Revelations has to agree with uh, the rest of the Bible. Okay, Thessalonians. Come on. Okay, what did I say? 1 Thessalonians 4 and 15. Well, I'm trying to hold my place over there and not lose it. Okay, 4.15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, that's the people that are alive when the appearing of the Lord takes place, shall not prevent them which are asleep or those who have gone before. 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So this goes in line with what John heard happen. A loud voice came. Uh, he, he says it as were a, a trumpet, which said, Come up hither, and then I will, and I will show you these things which much must take place. Verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit. So when the, the appearance of God takes place, the rapture takes place, remember it says in another verse, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast do you wink your eye? Fast. You will be in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. So immediately he was in the spirit before the throne of God. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. Now you got three precious stones describing God. How does like three rocks on top of each other or I mean, to me, this is just something that you really can't wrap your mind around. But I, I think what it does for me is the purity, the holiness, the majesty of God. Um, it gives it gives us an insight that we can't wrap our mind around. I think we handle the things of God to to casually I think we describe God too casually because in 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 not I mean in one area it's like what else can you do our vocabulary can't encapsulate everything of God but there's an attitude behind it where where we try to justify things things in walking with God where we have reduced God down to a cognitive element of a human mind. We, we've got to, does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I mean, on one side, you and I can't adequately describe God. But on another side, we can have a heart that understands that he is more than what I can articulate. And I should approach him, I should walk with him with that reverence with that understanding that he is far more than I can articulate. Now he says, and there was a rainbow round about the throne uh, in sight like unto an emerald. Now the rainbow, obviously we can trace back to the days of Noah when God gave a rainbow as a, uh, a sign of his covenant. To me, one of the things that, and, and I'm going to say to me several times, and that, that means David's thinking on this. Don't just take it and run with it because the, it doesn't really expand upon this to where we know why there's a rainbow there. But to me, it's the power of covenant. Because when, when Noah, in Noah's days, when the earth was destroyed, God made a covenant that he would never destroy the earth by water again. And now we're, how many years are we from Noah? Like 18 or, you know, we're, you know, what, 5,000 years from Noah? God still remembers the, his covenant. Well, we've got another covenant that a heavy price was paid for it. 
And that was Jesus going to the cross and ratifying the covenant that we walk in right now. But a lot of times we don't even reverence that covenant or think about that we are in a covenant relationship um, with God, which means something. David, when he went to Goliath, he went out and fought him based on his covenant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? They overcame, we'll get to it in Revelation chapter 12, they overcame by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is the covenant that we live in. I've been talking about the name of Jesus. Our covenant has a name. It's Jesus. But people make light of Jesus. I mean, even to the point of just using his name in vain. Uh, that's why I'm very careful. Uh, I don't think you've ever heard me say, thus saith the Lord, uh, because I don't want, I'm not going to use his name in vain. There's a lot of people say it. And it's like, yeah, but I know that wasn't God. You just used his name in vain. Uh, you know, back in the old days, they say, I haven't really studied it out that much, but they say that they wouldn't even write all the, the letters of his name because it was, it was that holy to them. We, we've lost this. We don't, as Westerners, we don't really even understand covenant because we're, we're more of a contractual-minded people. And a covenant and a contract are two different things. Even in our contracts, we put escape clauses in them. Do you know what an escape clause is? Yeah. It's, it's a way to get out of the contract if we don't like what we got ourselves into. Covenants, you don't get out of them. It doesn't matter how it's working out for you. You don't get out of them. You, you have to withhold or uphold your part. Verse 4, and round about the throne, there were four and twenty seats, or twenty-four seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now we know from studying that these twenty-four, uh, and did I write a reference verse? In fact, uh, go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. We'll just read this of twelve of them. Matthew 19. And verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be... No, that's not it. What did I... Oh, that's chapter 20. All right. 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. You also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So we know that of the 24, 12 of them are occupied by the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, on the other 12, we don't know who it is, but we know they're out of the Old Testament. Some people say they're the, the sons of the 12, you know, um, you know Judah and, and go down the 12 tribes and all them, that it's those people. I don't think it is. Um, but I, I couldn't make a case against it. I just don't think it is. Some people will say that it's just patriarchs, Noah or Moses, you know, uh, somebody like that, maybe some of the prophets or something like that. We don't know. It's all speculation on who actually sits there because the Bible does not tell us. But there are 12 seats out of the Old Testament that are, uh, as we read in verse 1, uh, 12, 24 seats that are around the throne of God. Now, notice them who sit on it. They're clothed in white raiment. 
says nothing about spots. It says nothing about wrinkles. When we get over into the, the book of uh, or the chapter seven of the book of Revelations, those who come out of the tribulation, they had to wash their robes. So they they understood. I, I would say it this way: they were born again. They had the, the robes of, of being born again. They could be righteous. They just allowed it to get spotted and wrinkled. And they missed this because we're looking at right now the church. Now, everybody uses the word the church as everybody that goes to church. But the church are the redeemed. That means you, you understand that you were bought with a price and your life is not your own. So, so he says here that, number one, they were clothed in white raiment and they had uh, on their heads crowns of gold. Now, we could read over in the book of James, chapter one, chapter, I think it's chapter one, that the crown represents life or that it was, um, it was a reward for what, was, what they had done. So if we look at these two things and we know of the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles saved John all died a martyr's death. They gave their whole life for the expansion of the gospel. They, they're rewarded with, we could say, a, covenant, a coveted position of being on one of these 12 seats that are around the throne of God. And we could say of them, they had, you know, they had the white ropes, they kept themselves and they had a crown. Um, they, they held themselves to a higher standard to, to walk in this. This doctrine of just because Jesus died and grace has been given that everything is okay, it's obviously that it's not because not everybody is in this position, even those that are around the throne worshiping God. What am I trying to say here? I think the things of God are, are far more serious than what we make them. He's a holy God. And out of the throne, verse 5, out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we've gone through Revelations 1, 2, and 3, and this is the third time that it's referenced, and I told you I'd get to it later, uh, the seven spirits of God. Now, go over to uh, Isaiah chapter 11, and we can read the seven spirits of God. Now, in... Um, there's, these, there's only one spirit, but there's seven manifestations, variations, however you want it, uh, demonstrations of that spirit. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, Jesse was David's father, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And, come on, count with me, number one, the spirit of the Lord, there's one, shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom, two, spirit of understanding, three, the spirit of counsel, four, the spirit of might, five, the spirit of knowledge, six, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord, seven. So those are the seven spirits that are around the throne of God. Now that, we just took it, we just went all the way back to Isaiah. Amen. So, so if you have a doctrine, well, that old, that's Old Testament, it doesn't apply to me, you're, you're not going to understand the New Testament. Okay, um, verse um, six. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass likened to a crystal, crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And a couple of things in this verse. 
is that in biblical interpretation, if you see the word sea, S-E-A, and it does not refer to a body of water. So if you're reading in the New Testament and it talks about the Sea of Galilee, it's talking about a body of water. There is a Sea of Galilee. Um, but if, if the word is used, but it is, does not have a direct reference to a body of water, it means a, a multitude of people. So before in 6, before the throne, there was, we could say, a multitude of people. The Bible says a sea of glass, like unto a crystal. Now we will get into this a little bit later in another area. But crystal is a very clear, um, uh, what's it called, a stone? Or, yes. uh, is this stone? Uh, a very clear stone. Like a diamond, you have to put a jeweler's loop up and look in it to see any flaws that are within a diamond. But not on a crystal. You with your naked eye can see very, very small, minute things. What does that mean? What is that a, a symbol of? The purity of those that are around the throne. Jesus is coming back after a church that is without spot or wrinkle. They're clean. They've been cleansed by the blood of the land. They wash their mind with the word of God. And, and it's, a, it's a great multitude, or it's a sea, uh, of glass likened to a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast, and, and really these are... In King James, I don't know, somebody may have a... Anybody have a Bible that says something besides a beast? In another translation? Creature. Okay. They're, they're really angel, angelic beings, and, and you can study them out. They're found in Ezekiel. It, the order of class that we're going to talk about this, you can find them in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10. They're angelic beings. Um, in the midst of the throne, round about the... Oh, verse 7. And the first beast... Wait a minute. Did I read that? Yeah, throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion. The second beast was like a calf. The third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now, many people ask, well, why a lion? Why a calf? Why? The Bible, uh, I mean, we can speculate, but the Bible doesn't really tell us why those angelic beings are made this way. What, one thing that could probably be, it says the beasts are full of eyes. Uh, there's nothing that goes unseen by them. I mean, there, there's probably some, and this is David's speculation, uh, something along that lines. Um, verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. I want you to stop and I want you to think about that for just a minute. And uh, I've talked about it before in just the magnitude of God. The assignment of these four angelic beings is to fly around the throne of God and say, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Okay, now here's David's thinking. That would get boring about the fourth time around. How long have they been doing that? Yeah, like eternity backwards and eternity forwards. Now, this should give us insight into God. Every time they go around and they see a new element of it, they're, they're in awe. So let's just say during my life, they've been doing this since 1962. 61 years, they've been flying around the throne of God saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God uh, Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And every time they go around, they see a new element, a new facet, a new something of God that moves them into a state of amazement and praise. Like we're not talking about, oh, I didn't see he cut his hair that way. You know, it's like, you know, something like that. They see something in God that moves them into a state of worship. So if we understand how magnificent God is, Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, according to John uh, chapter 1, verse 14, maybe we don't really understand the magnitude of what Jesus did for us and who he really is. Because a lot of people talk like, well, Jesus is my friend. I think it's a good point. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Now, the crown that they had was everything in their life that they, lo- that they worked for. It was, it was a re- part of the reward system of heaven. But when they saw, when these, these four angelic beings start worshiping God, the worthiness of them having this crown now means absolutely nothing, and they throw it down on the ground before the Lord. So, so we, we, if we can rewind back to here where we're at today and to our lives, how much does our lives mean in the context of what we can achieve for ourselves versus what we're working toward in heaven. Again, I can, the, the point that I'm trying to make that I just don't have the words for, I don't, don't know how to do it, is I think this thing with, with Jesus in heaven is a lot more serious. The price that Jesus paid for our redemption uh, was a far heavier price than what we realize. And, and when you look at people... Uh, we're really carnal because we're focused on us. If something happens in our life that doesn't go the way we want it, we get all ouchy and bent out of shape just because something didn't go our way. Jesus sweating blood, if you look at a medical explanation of it, it's very possible that the capillaries just under the skin as a result of so much pressure can bleed and he's, he's, Father, if there's any way that we can do this a different way, let this cut pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. And we get, we, we get all bent because somebody, you know, stepped on our toes or, you know, said something ouchy or did something we thought we were supposed to do. And those, uh, verse 9, and when those beasts give glory, I think I read that 24 elders fall down, verse 10 sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their thrones uh, or their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. Thou hast created all things, watch this, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Everything in this life is for him and for his pleasure. But yeah, a lot of times our life is based on for us and for our pleasure. And uh, 
And I think that as we see this, what it takes to get into the throne of God, we're living at a time in the world right now, we ought to pay more attention to this. Chapter 5. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now remember the context in which we're reading. John is before the throne of God. He's seeing all this happen of what is to come. And uh, he sees this conversation going on. He sees a scroll and uh, he sees the strong angel. Probably many people believe that would be Michael, the archangel, because he's like uh, an angel of war. And uh, um, so people have, have speculated. It is speculation because the Bible does not tell us which angel it is. But this strong angel brings this scroll over. And then uh, uh, they say, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy. So, so put yourself in John's position. John's like 90-something years old when he has this vision uh, in Revelations. And he's given his whole life to as a young man following Jesus as a disciple, walking through. He was the only disciple at the cross when Jesus uh, was crucified. Uh, John, Mary, seems like somebody else was, but not one of the disciples. He was the only disciple. And uh, then, I mean, now he said, I was in the, uh, on the Isle of Patmos for the, the word's sake. I mean, he's willing to go to prison uh, because of this. And, and he's living his life in a very pure, very close relationship with the Lord. And he sees that when we get to heaven, nobody makes the cut to be worthy. It breaks his heart. The, the, what Jesus did for us is really out of, out of what we can wrap our minds around. And it brings John to, to tears and... Um, uh, no man was able to open. And I wept much because I wept much because no man was found worthy to open, uh, to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. And I beheld. Now again, John's writing this, and I saw. In the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So, so Jesus is standing there off to the, you know, in the midst of everything, but off to the side. Behold, I saw him standing there. Where did he come from? Anybody got an idea? He just came back with all of his saints that were clean. Remember, he came down, he met him in the air. Immediately, they were back here before the throne of God, and he was with all those, his body. He is the head of the body, the body in the appearing of Christ, the body, the head come together, and they're standing there before the throne. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, 
And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saint. You know how many people have said, I just don't think my prayers, I don't think God hears my prayers. I don't think my prayers really matter. He's, he's catching all the prayers and keeping them. Isn't that amazing? He, ha he has your prayers. Obviously, you heard them. He saved them. He knows where they're at. Don't ever think light of your prayers. Now, here's a very key thing. They sung a new song. Now, when we get over to Revelations chapter 7, you're going to notice they don't have a song. So there's a very big distinction between these and what we're going to end up reading about. Saying, now this is the song. Are we saying, the word? No, I don't, know the, I don't know the rhythm of it. You probably don't. We'll just read the words of it. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, a couple of things on this. One, it's a recognition of they are redeemed. Now, we say we're redeemed. What, what have we been redeemed from? There's three specific things that we have been redeemed from. What are they? Poverty, lack, sickness, disease. Poverty, lack, which is part of poverty. So we say poverty, sickness and disease. And what? Eternal death. Not, not physical death. So that means we've been redeemed from hell. Christians don't have a problem with this. But there's a lot of Christians getting sick all the time, and there's a lot of Christians living paycheck to paycheck. Now, a lot of living paycheck to paycheck is a lack of uh, self-discipline, but we've been redeemed from these things. But what if we're not living in the redemption? Can you sing that song? Well, there's no lying in heaven. You can lie here on earth, say you're redeemed and not be redeemed. But in heaven, you can't. This is, this is why I hit so hard on overcoming. We, you know, Revelations 2 and 3, seven letters. Everything has an overcoming at the end of it. But we've been redeemed from these things of poverty, debt, lack. And then we've been redeemed from uh, sickness and disease. And we've been redeemed from eternal death. Now, you can live in only the eternal death by being, by, you know, redeemed from eternal death by being born again. But we have a responsibility to live in the fullness of redemption. We have to look at poverty, debt, lack, and sickness and disease as a violation of what Jesus did. If we don't, if we just think that it's a part of what we have to deal with in this earth. Now, sicknesses and diseases all around it. It's going to knock on your door and try to get on you. That's why the word overcome is in there. It's coming and you got to over it. Now, you know, if you and I are driving down the freeway or a highway or Port Street, 
and somebody's driving too slow, we'll pass them. You all know what I mean, right? In other countries, they say we overtake them. It's a conquering. I rode with a guy in Romania. He had a conquering mentality. <laughs> we were on a highway, and you, we'd, there'd be a car like a mile and a half. He'd see it. He'd speed up so he could pass it. I mean, it's like, it looked like a little matchbox car, you know, like way up there because it's so far away. And all of a sudden you'd see when you would know when he saw it because it's like so that we could catch up to it so that we could overtake it. He had a conquering mentality. And uh, but, you know, we should have a conquering mentality and overtake that which is trying to overtake us. But that's part of redemption. Let's read the the words of the song again, because they actually mean something. And um, uh They sung a new song saying, verse 9, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. So that deals with what we were just reading. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. Okay, so what he went through slain and you have redeemed us to God. By the blood, by your blood, out of every kindred tongue, people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, that statement in verse 10, this is the third, at least the third time. Uh, it, it might be in some other chapters I'm not thinking of. In the Old Testament, when, when God delivered the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and was taking them, remember when they were on their way um, to Canaan's land, and he says, I'm going to meet with the people on this mountain. You tell them to clean themselves up for three days. They had to wash their, their robes. You know, the, the husband's wife couldn't come together. Uh, they, they had to do all these different things to purify themselves so that they could stand in the presence of God. Does anybody know what he wanted to do with them? Nope. He wanted to make them kings and priests unto him. He wanted a nation of kings and priests. And then they went up there and they said, Moses, you go, you go deal with him because if we go up there, we're going to die. You just tell us what he said. They didn't want anything on this. We come back later on and you remember the part where Peter's talking about we are a chosen generation, peculiar people and in that, that area. He says to make unto himself a nation of kings and priests. And we're all hanging around with identity problems on just being Christians. And now they're singing a song that you have made us kings and priests. Who do you think these people are? The people that took up the challenge to become kings and priests. Now, you're not going to see, like I said, you're not going to see this song with the Revelation chapter 7 saints. Verse 11, and behold, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. There's a lot of people around the throne. Does the Amplified actually give a number? Like, does it equate the math out on that? And verse 11 says the same thing. Myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands innumerable. There's a lot of people around the throne. There's a lot of people that make it. 
you know, going back all the way, you know, from the beginning of time, um, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. How does that compare to our Christian living? Y'all can quit looking down. (laughs) See, we should, this is my opinion, we should actually listen to what the Bible says and quit thinking that what we think is okay. Everything we have, I've said it before that, you know, people say things like, I deserve something. The only thing you and I deserve is hell. It is just because Jesus that we can escape hell. And redemption is we're bought with a price. We are not our own. Yet most Christians will live as though they are their own and they can make the decisions for their life. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing, Honor, glory, and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him that lived forever. Now, I'm going to stop here uh, so that we can just start on an, uh, another chapter, chapter 6. And we're going to, the, the seals, the first seal is opened, you know, that we're going to go through the different seals that were opened and what they um, um, let me just give you a teaser here, okay? Let's, let's do one and two, and then we'll come back next week and do one and two. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, who is that? Verse two. Who is that? Who's it referring to? The Antichrist. Anybody else? Nobody has a comment? How many thinks is Jesus? Okay, I see a couple, three, four, five hands. Okay, uh, it's the Antichrist. Reboot was right. And let me just show you, give you the teaser here. What messes people up is the white horse. Because Jesus is coming back on a right, white horse, right? And uh, he had a bow. He didn't have bow and arrows. And Jesus never is represented with a bow. What's he represented with? A sword. And a crown was given unto him. Jesus already has a crown. He's conquered death on the grave. He has the crown already. He doesn't need a crown to be given to him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Jesus has already conquered death on the grave. He doesn't need to conquer anything else. Satan's defeated and everything's defeated. So we see the, the Antichrist here getting set up on it. Notice again that this is after, in this chapter 6, this is after the church is before the throne of God. So as we read in Thessalonians last week, that the church has to be removed so that it can move into the tribulation period and that the man of sin be revealed. And so uh, um, let me just kind of, because, you know, putting this together is a little bit, um, I'm trying to make it make sense. Did it make sense tonight? As, as I walk through it, I mean, can you see it? Now, this first chapter of being before the throne, that should excite you. 
Because you and all, you and I all have equal opportunity to be there. But not everybody's going to be there. Because, because you have to break this thing of my life is not my own. God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And we have to apply the principles of righteousness in this life and, and live the way he wants us to live to be in this. Now, remember the distinction between going to heaven and being part of the rapture. Two separate things. You can get into heaven being born again. Jesus is doing everything he can to get people to receive him as Lord. And uh, there'll be a lot of people in heaven that were not in the rapture. You're going to see that as we go forward. Uh, let me ask another question on this. When I referenced back into other scriptures, was that a good thing? Yes, it was Okay. How many, how many wants me to reference back into other parts of the Bible? Okay, so the majority. Okay. So um, uh, we're good on that. Any questions? Any comments? Anything before we close down? Man, book of Revelations that nobody ever wants to read and we got no questions? Okay.